0: person really plead their case before God? What would you say to God in your own defense? Welcome to Through the Bible. Today, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, guides us to Job chapter 13 through 15, where we'll see there's only one thing that we can say in our own defense before the throne of God. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus as you find your seat. And while you do, I want to share a quick letter from a fellow passenger in Lone Tree, Colorado. She writes, I enjoy this program a lot. Each morning I listen, and the Word of God is opened before me. I take my time and soak it all in. The rest of the day I ponder over what I heard, and I always discover new things about restoration in life. Thanks for sharing such excellent teaching and bringing us nearer to understanding all that God tells us through His marvelous book. And then here's a quick email from Tony in Illinois. I love the program. I listen to the radio when I can, but listen to all of the programs on my iPhone through your app. I love that on the app I can see the world prayer country of the day. I've been listening for more than 20 years and still learn new things every day. God bless all of the people involved with this program and thank you for all you do getting His Word out to the world. Well, thank you, Tony. It's sure great to have you aboard the Bible bus with us. And you know, just like you, I've listened for a pretty long time and I'm still learning something new in God's Word every day. Our last letter comes to us from Yvonne in the Philippines who listens online and she writes... I just want to tell you it is so uplifting to be a part of the world prayer team and read the ongoing testimonies of how our Lord works in this corrupt and evil day. God be praised. Thank you through the Bible for your faithfulness, your courage, and quiet perseverance. My faith has grown. My perspective has changed. My heart is softening with compassion. And my prayers for the glorification of brothers and sisters I don't know have become more sincere. I pray with you from the Philippines and can't wait for the day when we will all meet and gaze upon our Savior face to face. Well, it's sure great to hear from you, Yvonne. Thank you for the encouragement. How long have you been listening to Through the Bible? What's God teaching you through His Word? In this study of Job, are you learning to trust God in the middle of your trials? Are you seeing God's redemption in a new way? Well, we'd sure love to hear your story. You can send your email to BibleBus at ttb.org or mail your note to Box 7100. Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, box 25325. London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. And if you'd like to join Yvonne, Tony, me, and thousands of other listeners on our world prayer team, then you need to sign up today at ttb.org forward slash pray. Now let's ask God to bless this time in His Word. Heavenly Father, would you fill us with your wisdom and knowledge as we study your Word together? Help us to see you more clearly and then trust you fully. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Here's our study of Job 13 through 15 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
1: Now, friends, we are coming back to this 13th chapter. We just got our foot in the door there last time. And this is Job's answer to Zophar. And after this, these friends will make another round of trying to break, actually, Job down. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get him to admit that he's committed some secret sin and to confess that. And Job hasn't any great sin to confess. That is, a sin probably of immorality or a sin probably that would have to do with dishonesty or something like that, a sins of the flesh or maybe worldliness. But that is not really the problem with Job at this particular point. They're not actually talking into his situation at all. And so in this answer now, and this is Job's third answer, he's becoming bitter and sarcastic. He started out, you remember in chapter 12, he says, No doubt but cheer the people, and wisdom shall die with you. Now, he suggests here in chapter 13 that he probably ought to bypass his friends and appeal to God directly because they're misrepresenting him. Verse 3, Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. They hadn't diagnosed his case at all, and therefore they were not helping him. Now notice as he moves on into this section Verse 5, oh, that you would altogether hold your peace and it should be your wisdom. And Job says the best thing for you to do now is to keep quiet because he says that would be smarter than what you're saying because you haven't helped me at all. Now he speaks back to them and he says in verse 6, Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. Will ye speak wickedly for God? and talk deceitfully for him. In other words, when they are accusing him of committing some awful sin and that God is judging him, you see they're dealing deceitfully for God. They're not representing God as they should. Now, Job knows that. He recognized that. But they are not representing God directly. And if they could only bring Job to the place where he could see himself as he really is. But they put him on the defense. And as a result, why, he's making a good case for himself. But it makes it look bad for God, you see. It looks as if God is to blame in this. And these friends hammer him with that. But they're not helping him at all. And so he goes on in that vein here. He says in verse 8, "...will ye accept his person?" Will ye contend for God? Is it good that he should search you out? Are as one man mocketh another, do ye so mock him? He will surely reprove you if ye do secretly accept persons. Now, Job is coming back at them, and he says, God's going to judge you for misrepresenting. Shall not his excellency make you afraid, and his dread fall upon you? Your remembrances are like unto ashes, your bodies. The bodies of clay, hold your peace. Let me alone that I may speak, and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Now, in the midst of all of this, the faith of Job just stands inviolate in spite of the onslaught of his friends, and they've now become a stranger to him, by the way, as we shall see. Verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, this is the great faith of this man Job, even at this point. But they've not got at the root of Job's trouble at all. And that'll come out just a little later, of course. Now, will you notice? We begin to see it here. He says, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Job says, I can go into the presence of God. And I'm going to defend myself. My friend, the minute that you start defending yourself, you're going to lose your case. When you go in the presence of God, you plead guilty (laughs) because he knows you. And you don't go in the presence of God and get you an attorney and by some little clever routine try to get out of the accusation and try to disannul God's statement that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and is none righteous, no, not one, and the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, God just doesn't change that at all. And you can't get a smart lawyer that will get you out of that. And you're not going before one of these soft-hearted and soft-headed judges. You're going before the God of this universe who is the moral ruler and therefore The idea that you can go there and plead, and you can maintain your case, the thing to do is just go in and plead guilty and cast yourself upon the mercy of the court. And you'll find out God has a mercy seat. And it's a mercy seat because the blood of Jesus Christ is on it. And he paid the penalty for your sin. And my friend, that's the only way you're going to get off. This man, Jobier, you can see he needs somebody to really represent God before him and keep him from... Defending himself and let him cast himself on the mercy of God. This book has a tremendous message, as you can see. Now, I'm going to just move right on down in this section here. And let me read verse 16. He also shall be my salvation. Now, there's glimmers of light that break through on this man's soul. He says he's going to be my salvation. And that, by the way, is even the teaching of the old testament that god is our salvation oh how david held on to this david was a great sinner but he didn't live in sin he just committed an awful sin but david he said he's my high tower he's my shield he's my buckler he's my salvation the salvation wasn't a coin that you carried around in your pocket you might lose it salvation's god and salvation today is Christ. You either have him or you don't have him. You either trust him or you don't trust him. There's no other alternative, friends. There's no man's land between. You can't stand in that place. Either you're for him or against him. And there's none other name under heaven, Peter says, given among men, whereby we must be saved. He's the only out for the human family. And so Job has a glimmer of light. And it's marvelous. Evidently, this is in the patriarchal age of the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, somewhere along there. Now he says to them, verse 17, hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. Now, Job says, listen to me. And I think maybe we ought to listen to him. Shall we listen to him now? Behold now, I've ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Now, the unfortunate thing is that he's not going to be justified because somebody else has justified him. This man, Job, thinks that he's got a good case, even before God. A lot of people think that today. Oh, I don't mind coming before God. I can stand there, have news for you. You've already been condemned before God, friend. You're a lost sinner. You live in a little old world today that's a mess. And man's in rebellion against God. And you've got that kind of a heart. That's the idea today that you're something and you, my, God sure couldn't get along without you. Oh, he can miss you, friends. He couldn't get along without us. But thank God he says he's not. He loves us. And he's made a way for us. So will you listen to this man? He says, I know I'll be justified. I know I will be, but not because I've got a defense myself. I haven't any. I've cast myself upon the mercy of the court. Now, listen to Job. Verse 9. Who is he that will plead with me? For now, if I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. You know, this is interesting. Job, at the beginning, he said he wanted to die. wish well, he hadn't been born and wanted to die. Now, he says, if I hold my tongue, I'll give up the ghost. All right, Job, if you want to die, why don't you hold your tongue? But he's not. He's going to talk. <laughs> That's the way a little man, we've got a lot to say, all of us have, by the way. Now, listen to him, verse 20. Only do not two things unto me, then will I not hide myself from thee. Withdraw thine hand from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. Now, he's telling God what to do. (laughs) Oh, a lot of us do that. You know, I hear people say, oh, I tell you, I have unanswered prayers. No, you don't have unanswered prayers. God always answers prayers. He says no, at least he said no to most of mine, but that's an answer. But you see, a lot of our praying is giving orders to God. We're sort of like a top sergeant talking to a buck private in the rear rank. We say, we want this, you do that, and you do the other thing. And God doesn't move that way. And Job's trying to tell the Lord, withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. Job is a frightened man, but God says, I'm not moving according to your plan. I have a plan, and I'm going to work it out in your life. Verse 22, then call thou, and I will answer, or let me speak, and answer thou me. I had the privilege of speaking to a group of college students up at the San Jose State College. They got 25,000 students up there. I'd never dreamed it was that big a place, and I met with a Christian group. And I was rather amazed to hear some of these young people arguing about prayer. What's the use of praying? Because you can't change God, and you just don't need to do that at all. May I say to you that they reminded me of Job here. Their idea was that God should be one that would come at their beck and call. And they felt like prayer was that. And I tried to make clear to them, I said, look, prayer actually is not to change God. I said, where'd you get that idea that you're going to change God by prayer? I said, the primary purpose of prayer is change us. I used to have a little motto, and I think it's partially true. It says prayer changes things. Well, I think it does too, but prayer changes us, friends. That's an important thing. If you think that God is a Western Union boy and that all you've got to do is just have him come and deliver a message for you or come and deliver you something, you're wrong. (laughs) That's not it. Job here is telling God what to do. Then I don't point my finger at Job because I've done the same thing. Now, listen to Job here. He says, verse 23, How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine enemy? Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro, and wilt thou pursue the dry stubble? The thing is, Job wants a showdown with God, very candid. What he's asking for now, he said, I won't know how many my sins are that he's treating me as he is, and I'm just like a leaf that's being driven to and fro, and you step on it. And I feel like God stepped on me. He says, verse 27, Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks, and Lookest narrowly unto all my paths, thou settest a print from the heels of my feet. And he as a rotten thing consumeth as a garment that is moth-eaten. He said, well, I'm just rotting away. That's what's happening to me. And he couldn't see the point in it. Now, in coming to chapter 14, here is a great elegy on death. And he says here in verse 1, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And there's nothing any truer than that. It means simply this. Trouble is the common denominator of mankind. All of us have had trouble. And he says man's born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We've seen that. Trouble is the language that the whole human family knows about. Every person knows about trouble. Now Job here is speaking on the subject of death. Now he knows that death is inevitable and that he must depart from this world. Now he has a hope beyond the grave. Now let's see that. He says, He cometh forth like a flower, and he's cut down, just like a flower. He fleeth also as a shadow, and continueth not. Just like a shadow appears, sun goes down. Where does the shadow go? It's gone. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one, and bringest me into judgment with thee? I'm just a shadow down here. I'm like a flower that's been cut down. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. And that is a great truth, by the way. That's the reason today that I don't care who you are. You are a sinner. And you were born a sinner. David put it like this, In sin did my mother conceive me. And this is a great truth. You can't bring a clean thing out of an unclean. How could you? Be a sinless creature when you had a sinful father and a sinful mother. You can't get a clean thing out of an unclean thing. That's a law, by the way. Now, he says, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. And Job is saying he feels himself as a human being that he's pretty well hemmed in. And by the way, you are pretty well hemmed in. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What David mean? that when he came down to his deathbed? No, the very minute that you start out in life, you're starting out in a canyon where the shadow of death is on you. And you just keep going until he gets narrow and narrow until, my friend, that's it. You are always walking in the shadow of death. Someone has put it like this. The moment that gives us life begins to take it away from us. Now, listen to him, verse 10. But man dieth, wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? Now, we're talking about this life. A man that's made a tremendous success down here. Famous person. He's gone. Now, where is he? I mean, oh, he may have a few monuments around a street or two named after him, but what good is that? What does that amount to? Now he goes on, and we're beginning to break through And you begin to see the real faith of this man. He says, if a man die, shall he live again? That's been a question and a big question with man. He says, all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. And he knew that was coming. Thou shalt call, I'll answer thee. Even in death, Job says he's going to call me and I'm going to answer him. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hand. In other words, God's not through with me. Death doesn't end at all. And you're going to hear him say before this is over, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the last days upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Oh, how tremendous that is, friends. And so this is a great elegy here on death. Now I want to move on down into chapter 15. Because now we begin the second round. Eliphaz, who spoke first, he's speaking again. Now, you remember, this man Eliphaz is the spiritualist. He's had a dream, and he's seen something, and he's really had an experience. And very candidly, I personally don't feel like all of these testimonies today are too great a value, because it rests truth on experience. And first of all, we should have truth, which is the word of God. And then experience should come out of that. Too often people want to hear a testimony. They don't want to hear the word of God. Experience may or may not rest upon the word of God. Now, the word of God is the thing that is important. And so here we come back to the man. He's had an experience. And it's mighty hard to get by a fellow like that. Now will you notice, then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? My, they hit each other hard, don't they? They're really slugging it out now by these intellectual forays that they're making at each other. In other words, he says, My, Job, you certainly are windy. You are really just talking. And he says, Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good. And you see, instead of helping Job, they're doing nothing in the world but attacking him and trying to break him down and make him confess. Now, when a man's in trouble, you don't treat him like this. Now he says, yea, thou castest all fear, restrainest prayer before God, for thy mouth utter thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Now, he really goes after Job here, as you can see, and listen to him at verse 7. Art thou the first man that was born? That's a good one, friends. Or wast thou made before the hill? In other words, you speak as if you know something, Job. And by the way, Job is. Again, all of these men are working on a wrong premise. All of them. But they put Job in a pretty bad light. They've not comforted him at all. They've not let him see or bring him to the place where he could see that he is... A man that has a great lack and a great need and God is probably using this to bring him to that and God is doing that now in verse 10 with us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much elder than thy father now he says we've got wisdom over on our side and you don't have it Job that is his argument here and verse 14 what is man that he should be clean And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Now, Job is defending himself. Job is trying to say he's not guilty. But these men are working on the premise that Job has committed an awful, terrible sin, and he ought to bring it out in the open. Now, it goes on in verse 15. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints, yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. That's all true, by the way. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he died, He not only died to redeem, friends, you and me, but in his redemption, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to come because he redeemed. The heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water? And that is a true statement. There's no question about that. Now, this man is saying things that are quite obvious. That is, man in that day, didn't have this false philosophy of life and a false psychology that man is a rather superior creature, and he's the product of evolution, and that if there's anything wrong with man, it's just because man has made a few mistakes, and his sin is really ignorance or selfishness. It's nothing that just couldn't be cured by rubbing a little salve on it. That is the assumption, you see. And these men are working, actually, therefore, from the wrong premise. Now we're going to see Job's answer to that next time. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved.
0: Well, that's it for this time, friends. Listen to today's message again or share it with someone you care about at ttb.org or purchase Dr. McGee's entire five-year study on our Bible Bus flash drive by calling 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's 1-865-BIBLE or ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz. Thanks for joining us today. Let's connect again next time as the Bible Bus continues to take us through the whole Word of God. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from His Word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.